hey, Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Run Rundown. Let's, Let's go. Hello, dear listeners, and Joe, how's it going? Oh, hello, it's going pretty well. How about you? Ah, you know, it's great living a dream. Living a dream, living somebody's dream. I won't get specific about <laughs> whose dream it is. <laughs> specifically not mine, but it is a dream, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, what's, what's, what's new with you, Joe? What's new with me? Let's see. Um... This week, what what uh, what have I been doing this week? I have been I had some some things I was gonna I was thinking about talking about, and then I completely just just spaced. Um, I oh I know what I was gonna I I never got to tell you about this spider incident that we had before. So so Evan uh, <laughs> Evan <laughs> Evan uh, texted me before the show, and he's like, "All right, I'm ready whenever you are." And I was like, "I'll be on in a few minutes." We just had a spider incident. So uh, we walked out. So uh, my wife comes downstairs and into the living room past the front door. She goes, there is a legitimate Halloween spider outside on our uh, on our porch. And she was like a real one. Not like not like somebody put up fake. Play. She was like, there is a legitimate Halloween spider. So I go look outside across the street. We have uh, like somebody has a big Halloween decoration of a giant spider with these like orange and black striped legs and i look about two feet to my left and hanging off of our porch is a spider that's like an inch across and the same as like the same coloration as the spider across the street it was crazy it was like a red and black striped legs uh i I, we looked it up later and discovered it's it's called a spotted orb weaver and I've actually. Oh, I have those at my house. They're you do terrifyingly big. Yeah, too. they're huge. I saw one of the the, the reason I, the name was familiar because we saw one up in Vermont when we were there, um, a couple, like number a year or two ago. But um, so I was like, okay, I guess we don't have to be actually terrified of this thing because it's not poisonous or anything. But it is terrifying. It's pretty scary though. Um, they're also like they're really big and they build elaborate webs and they build really big webs. Um, so I have walked into. In in my garage, the web of a spotted orb weaver, and then it was hanging off of me, ah! um, and I emitted a sound that <laughs> like was probably supersonic uh, or hypersonic, whatever the highest sonic is, is with the sound that I made. I like ran into the wall. I, I'm so I am scared of um, not like regular spiders, but exotic spiders. If if you know, if you ever um, meet me in person, ask me about my camel spider story, where um, I got into a lot of trouble overseas because of a camel spider because I was really, really scared. <laughs> but that is um that is a legitimate Halloween. I was like, "What's a Halloween spider?" And then you described it. I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah. I get it now." Yep. Yeah. Uh, what is new with you? Uh, let's see. So I had a uh, a wedding last weekend, and oh, yeah. it was the last one of the year for us. I think. I think. Um, and it was our very good friends. Um, Kat and Matt. So congratulations to them. And this was an awesome wedding. It was in, um, I don't know, it was like South Shore, but it was uh, the perfect music and group of people dancing. I really like to dance at weddings. I'm like built for weddings. And um, there was this woman who did a full front split um, as like the finisher of a series of moves to uh, an ABBA song. And I also can do a front split. So I immediately after did my front split and I felt like I, you know, it was a pinnacle moment uh, for me and the wedding. And I felt like that was the first time I got to use it like, yeah. as a weapon. You know, I was like, I, I, I deployed my front split, <laughs> uh, which I've been working on for so long. So uh, I felt really good. That's and, great. Uh, it, was, it was really fun. I did not know you could do a front split until I saw the video evidence, and I was I was really excited. I might have I might have emitted a supersonic sound of my own when I saw that front split. Oh yeah, that's right. I shared the video <laughs> with you. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's my move. Now, the woman who I competed with her front split wasn't thrilled about that afterwards. <laughs> but you know, there's no you you can't make friends in the dance floor. That's you true. Only, you can only that's compete. True. Yep. Uh, uh, I got an okay. important question for you. Oh, what is it? What you reading? God, that that just music gets me every single time. Um, 
I got to stop like talking about it. I think I've talked it's about the best. No, no, it is the best. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> uh, someday we'll have Hina on and he can talk about his sick beats. Okay. That's so right. what I am reading today is um, a blog post called glue on the no idea blog. We'll, we'll definitely share this out. Um, but the TLDR of this blog post is talking about glue work and glue work is sort of uh, the things that hold teams together, technical teams specifically together. It's all the work that isn't explicitly production. Like you're, you're not producing code. You're not like producing a systems design or a design document of some kind. It's like getting buy-in, like unblocking somebody with another team, you know? Yeah. Uh, You know, figuring out, yeah. Unblocking a developer on your own team so that they can do, you know, be a lot more productive. Yeah. Mentorship, um, like improving your hiring practices, improving your onboarding documentation, um, asking critical questions in someone else's design document and re-steering a little bit, you know, shifting the boat a couple degrees left to right. All this stuff is glue work. And this post specifically talks about like the effect of glue work on your career and sort of why um, glue work can be very good if you're a lead or in some part of your career and, and potentially dangerous if you're not. Or not dangerous, but it, it can be potentially damaging to your career. And I think um, that's like, that's it. It's that it can be really good. Glue work is not a bad thing, but it depends on where you are in your career and what your goals are. And that's sort of what this article talks about. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like the interesting thing that that I have some some more thoughts about. Well, let's talk about what what she talks about in the article. Um, this is Tanya Riley, by the way. Who's, she's written a, a number of like well known articles, and um, so and this this one is uh, you know I think I consider this one like a classic. I was thinking about like oh we should do a series of these like classic articles. This one is sort of a classic, at least a recent classic to me. Um, I have definitely some thoughts about like sort of when you're at a different different places in your career glue work can can work and when you're at different places it is uh it can hold you back and i, I think she covers that a little bit but i i think that's the place where i have a, l- a little bit more thought um a little or sorry a little bit like a few a few other thoughts but we can we can kind of talk through some things in the article um she kind of splits it up into five parts and so she like tells the story about about uh somebody who's careers hurt by glue work and then um, talks about whether or not this is fair. And that was kind of an interesting thing because she's like, uh, she's like, whenever I ask about this story, whether or not it's fair um, and we won't talk about the story, but it's exactly what you, what you said. It's like somebody who is spends a lot of their time. And I think this person is uh, typically a junior engineer or at least more junior. Um, and the, when, when she asks people who she's giving this presentation to, is this fair? She gets, everybody says like, it's so obvious, but then it's like split. It's like, you know, there are people who are like, it's so obvious that this is fair. And like, you know, for whatever reason. And then the other half of the people are, it's so obvious that this is not fair. So it's a very divisive uh, position, I guess. Um, She talked to clarify, they're saying it's fair or not fair that this person wasn't promoted for glue work. Yeah. So they were like a mid-level engineer. They did all the glue work and obviously had like a a massive impact on the success of the project that they were doing, but it it didn't have outright, this person didn't have outright deliverables. And then when they went up for promotion, the person who did the physical coding and the person did the systems design got promoted and the glue work person didn't. And then the question is, is that fair? Um, and it's sort of that mismatch, I think, that they're getting at between titling job responsibility and what actually needs to get done. Yeah, yeah. And and like when something actually needs to get done and there's nobody to do it, that's kind of the crux of this, I think, is like uh, glue work is expected if you are a tech lead or maybe uh, an engineering manager, like a technical, technical engineering manager, technical PM even maybe. Um, it's expected that you're going to do glue work. You know, a lot of this is... Uh, I would consider like breaking down tasks and like you say, writing documentation, making sure process is running smoothly. That's all stuff that like tech leads are good at. Um, the breakdown comes when there isn't a tech lead on your team or if they're, you know, and, and so then at that point you might have a number of engineers who either have to split the work among themselves or the work is going to fall onto some, some person. Um, and she talks a lot about that because this is kind of an, she, she, uh, Talks about some statistics that that Evan, you and I were were kind of like 
a little bit flabbergasted by uh, before we started recording, but like, you know, she talks about these statistics. It's in a, a Harvard Business Review article where um, it is here. I'm just going to like pull it up right here. She says uh, when basically when uh, when there's non-promotable work to be done. And that's what we're talking about here. So it's like non-promotable work being, uh, you know, something where you don't have a bunch of code at the end of the day to point to and say, look, here's the work I did. Um, when there's, when there is non-promotable work to be done, women volunteer to do it 48% more than men. And the other side of that, which is probably maybe even more damaging is that, uh, when managers were asked to choose someone to do thankless work, they asked women 44% more than they asked men, um, so I don't think that this article is, is like only about women, but like this, certainly this phenomenon, I think has a higher impact on women than it does on men. Yeah, absolutely. I think it has a higher impact on, uh, let's say like, I don't know, empathetic people mm -hmm. or, um, people who have sort of like, uh, broader views of things that are like care about interpersonal relationships, which may or may not skew more towards women than men. I, I don't know. What was interesting is they said, um, I don't really want to get into the, those types of differences. I think we can yeah. deal with the hard facts. So they said that men volunteered less because if they waited, they knew that a woman would volunteer. In all male groups, people volunteered. Um, so I think that, I don't I don't know what the, like, Obviously, that's messed up. We shouldn't do that, right? Um, I've known I've I've known male engine like male folks who do glue work as well. I, I don't think it's exclusive, but it is. It's important to look at this uh, because it's like the stuff that has to happen that we don't necessarily. I think the real answer here is put this in your promotable framework so that people get promoted for it. You yes. know, that's like that there is a sort of role or a hybrid role. Um, where people do get recognized for this type of work, that solves the problem. But it's that it's it's really hard to quantify this type of work. It's really easy to quantify lines of code submitted. It's really easy to quantify, you know, I, I delivered this technical project or I created this system design or I made this, uh, you know, Figma design that's beautiful and everybody loved. It's really hard to quantify, well, I got buy-in. Yeah. But that project could be dead in the water if you didn't curry enough favor that you got some API change from some backend team and then got like a, you know, an extra designer to come over and do a little extra work for you. And like all these things, like little, little coffee chats paid off mm -hmm. and you pay that social capital and then your project actually goes because of that. But you like, that means you have to write down all of that somehow and then put that in a ledger somewhere and just look at all the things that I did and how do you quantify that impact? So that's really, really hard. Yeah. I, I I think it is hard, but I think you're right in that you can create a framework for writing that down and for producing an artifact because that's what you need when, when we talk about things that are, you know, kind of like uh, more quantifiable, um, like writing more code or uh, or writing uh, design documents, writing system design. Um, those all have an artifact associated with them. There's something that you can point to and say, I did that. And that is uh you can <clears throat> you know there there is an equivalent when you're doing work like this glue or connective tissue connective i think of it as connective tissue too um there is something that you can point to it's just like really hard to write that stuff down or I, I think because most companies don't have a framework for it um i have worked with some managers who are much better at writing that stuff down or, or like thinking about how to put those in promotable terms um but I think even then it's it's tough because like you need to the first thing you need is a manager who's going to work with you to be on the same page as far as like it's going to it's going to get me promoted by doing this work. And we are going to figure out a way to uh, to like get it down on paper that that this, this is the impact I'm having. Step two is then you also need uh, everyone around that manager who that manager is sort of like selling your promotion to to buy in too, And those are kind of separate it just feels like things are stacked up. It's also sort of uh, inherently unfair for a couple of reasons, or at least what I'm what I mean to say is representing glue work to a promotions board. And we're not saying promotion is the only thing that matters here, but we, we'd be lying to say that you don't do work for no reason. Like you do, you know, you do work to advance and to grow and to to get more money and to like this is just the natural way of the world. So. Um, 
you don't get a ledger at the end of the day of all your glue work by default. You do get that with your code. Like you yep. make commits, there is probably a system that's going to spit that back out at you. So you like get the benefit of the doubt at the end of the six months, like what if, what features did I deliver? Um, so like already stacked against you. So if you're a glue work type of person, you know, tech lead is an example of this. You, you live through like other people's accomplishments. So, so you design, like you pushed the design in the right direction, but someone else delivered it at that, like that their six month review, they can just pull their commits and say like, Oh, delivered this feature. You have to write down everything every day that you did. So it requires like an outsized effort from you. And then it also, so that's unfair step. Number one, number two is that you then also have to co-opt someone else's uh, very public success with your own effort. So say you deliver this feature, someone else wrote the code and they kind of talk about this in the article, like expert coder writes the code, but they were completely blocked and didn't exactly know what to do. Glue work person unblocks them, gives them direction. Excellent coder writes the feature, delivers it. Excellent coder is the hero. So they get to say, I deliver the feature at their six month mark or year or whatever. The glue work person would then say, I helped them deliver that <laughs> feature, which doesn't feel as good as I delivered the feature. And it inherently has like, can feel icky to some people. Um, I think to sort of take some credit yeah. for these types of things. Um, so I think it's just, it's like the odds are stacked against you no yeah. matter what. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because I, I think it's like, um, you can see it as sort of a zero sum game where you like, if you are claiming some credit for that work, then it's, uh, taking away from the coder who wrote the work. I also see and maybe this is just the optimist in me, but I, I see a world in which the, it's not a zero sum game that, that you can both get full credit for, for that work. And I do think the, the word like help is the, a, a little bit of the key word here. If you can find a different sort of way to think about it, then, then, or, or especially present it to your manager, then like I helped do this work. If you can think about it, like I enabled this work to be done. So it's not like you were like sitting next to the person while they coded and you're like, I helped. It's like you, you did some things beforehand and took some blocks out of the way so that they could, could be more efficient at doing the work itself. So it's like, you both did the work, uh, and you didn't like, it, it was like you took on more work than what was, uh, initially visible. So it was like, you uncovered this extra work and also did that work. And I think that's maybe where, where, where you can both get full credit. Yeah. And I, I think I also agree with, uh, there's enough for everybody. I think there's an infinite fountain of everything for all of us to have when it comes <laughs> to credit. Like it doesn't take away. Some people do think it does. And I think, you know, it, I, I, I don't want to say that everybody should just be comfortable doing that because I know that that's not the way that everybody was raised and how everybody feels. Uh, what I do want to touch on though, is where glue work fits in your career. Because there's this interesting phenomena where I think it's most tech companies, that, at least the ones that I've been at so far, you have to be doing the next level's job for X amount of months before you get promoted. Mm -hmm. So that means inherently you're going to be in, in the wrong role for you for a little while. Now, if that's you're in the wrong role technically, like you're over delivering features, you're a hero. You know, mm -hmm. you're, oh my, look at, look, look, look how technical this person is. Look at, look at the incredible features they're delivering. But if you're like mid and you're trying to get to a senior role, glue work is important for that senior role. I think lead work is a lot of mentorship. It's pair coding. It's, you know, steering the ship type of stuff. At least that's a big chunk of it. So in the mid level, you have to flex into that. Yeah. But it is, it, it is antithetical to what makes you good at your day-to-day -day job, which is like execution, because it's the more glue work you do, the less hands-on coding time you have, the more meetings that you're in, the less focused work blocks that you have. So it's a really tough spot to be in. Uh, and they mentioned this specifically in the articles, like the story they tell is that mid-level person who does all this glue work and then doesn't get promoted. And I, I see that often. And I also like, I don't know how you fix that because you have to flex into the other role. So yep. what they're what at that point, mid to senior, and I think senior to staff, there is this growing pain where it's like you're going to do two jobs and you have to spend lots of time, I think, maybe is yeah. the expectation, but it doesn't seem fair. 
It doesn't seem fair. You're right. Um, I do think that like this idea that flexing into another role, uh, I do think there's, there's some benefit there. I think there's some benefit because like it allows you to actually see what that role is like before you're doing it full time. You know, imagine if somebody was like, you're promoted to a staff engineer and like day one, you're trying to just, just start figuring out what you're supposed to do. <laughs> what um, is this? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it is, it's, it's risky and it's really interesting. Yeah. So, so this is the part that I was thinking a, a lot about, which is like, uh, how different glue work is at the different points in your career. Because at, when you're a junior engineer, it's almost like there's no real benefit. Like there's, there's almost no chance that you are going to benefit as a junior engineer from doing glue work, which is really unfortunate for junior engineers who are good at that kind of stuff, you know, cause like, uh, it just, it's going to hold you back. And I don't know that there's a real solution for that unless you as a junior engineer have a manager who's, who's kind of willing to, um, think about, you know, I guess, take a generous point of view, which is, which is like, okay, this, this junior, junior engineer is already actually like flexing into some, some more senior level stuff. Um, that's, that's like a potential situation, but it's like, I, I see that as, as pretty rare. The, the riskiest uh, place I think is, is like you say, it's this mid-level where you're, I would say like senior to staff is not as risky as, uh, going from mid-level to senior because, because you do, you, you have to, um, take on mentorship. You have to take on, um, maybe some kind of, uh, like process improvement, um, role, stuff like that, maybe documentation. And, if you're not careful about the way you do it, and if you're not aligned with your manager on the value of this work, you can absolutely shoot yourself in the foot because you can absolutely take on this work uh, and have it happen just like this article describes, which is uh, unfortunate. Um, but then then on the other end of that, like once you get to the senior staff level, uh, sorry, senior or staff level, not necessarily senior staff, um, it becomes much easier, I think, to justify glue work and and to be aligned with your manager on like, yeah, the, this is the impact that I'm having. And it's impact beyond just me and the code that I'm writing. It's like impact across the whole team. Sometimes it might even be impact across multiple teams. You know, you're writing documentation is going to be used by you and six neighboring teams who are maybe interacting with your, your service or something like that. Um, I don't really know once you get beyond that, you know, principal engineer, like, I wonder at that point if if glue work kind of goes away again. It kind of seems like it does, but I, I kind of don't. Ha yeah, I, I would be curious about that. I imagine it's different where you are. Uh, yeah, and in principle, like principal and staff can be flip flopped in some places. Like yeah. at Amazon, you go from senior to principal, mm. uh, so that's sort of like a staff role. Uh, but anyways, I think the risk, though, like uh, going back to it. You know, if you're uh, mid and you're and you're doing too much glue work, you get tagged with this label of not technical enough. And mm -hmm. they mentioned this in the article, um, where it's just like you don't get promoted because you're not technical enough. All of a sudden, and then you get you get pushed back. Like, maybe you should be a product manager, or maybe you should be a, a manager or something like that, um, instead of being an engineer because you do the glue work. But there's it, the article talks a little bit about this. It's just like why is this not considered part of the body of work that an engineer does and somehow other people can drop it and get away with it because they, you know, like later on in the article, I'm sure we'll touch on this. It says like, Hey, sometimes you just have to stop doing glue work for a little while mm -hmm. to get promoted. Like you gotta, you gotta put it down because literally everybody else is. And that was the, that actually struck me as very interesting is like, Oh, wait a second all these other people are making either a conscious or unconscious choice in your team to not do any of this. Either they don't see it or they see it and don't do it. Yep. It's probably column A, column B. Uh, but because you feel responsible um, and that you can't let it go, like your personality doesn't allow you to let it go, it's going back to that volunteer, voluntold thing where someone has to volunteer to do this work implicitly because no one's raising their hand for it. You see it like, oh my God, the ball's about to drop. We're going to lose it. I have to do this. Uh, everybody else is, is, is choosing not to catch the ball. Yeah. Uh, and yet like someone has to do it. So I don't know, like getting, getting branded with not technical enough seems, I think my, my main motto here is like unfair. This just is unfair. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, I don't know. It's, um, cause someone has to catch the damn ball. Cause if literally no one does it, 
then everyone's going to look around and goes, why is the team so ineffective? I don't right. understand what happened. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's what I was going to say is like the team that loses out, like the team is worse off for it when like you're not picking up the ball that you're seeing, except that like it's, it just, it's really uh, unfortunate that there has to be that trade-off between either you, either you benefit or the team does. And like, if the team benefits, you might actually hurt your career. Um, that, that section of this article, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I have a, an association with this idea of like, if you can do the work, should you do it? Like somebody who is good at soft skills or, you know, networking, kind of communicating with other teams and, and like removing roadblocks. If you can do that, if you have that skill set, does that mean you always should, no matter what, even if it's like not necessarily what you want to be doing? Um, and I love that. I love, there are a couple of sort of like uh, pull quotes, I guess I would call them that like, I really like one of them is, uh, is what do you want to get better at? Like, uh, you know, determining rather than like, what, what do you want to be doing? Uh, asking yourself the question, what, do I, what do I want to get better at? And I would go as so far as to say, that's the question that, uh, you could ask, you know, uh, high schoolers in gu guidance counselors should, could ask high schoolers that maybe high school is a little too early, but I had this realization at some point in my career that, uh, when I started asking myself, what's the thing I want to get better at was when I really was able to lean into engineering and, and really was able to, to be like, oh, this is like, this is what is making my, like my, my, my neurons keep firing and, and just giving me all this dopamine like that. That was great. Uh, that was one of the, that was one of the quotes. The other one that's directly related is, um, this, uh, this friend of, of the person, of, uh, the person writing the article, uh, somebody was talking to them and, and basically said like, oh, you're so good at, you know, soft skill. You're so good at communicating. Um, you should do it more or something like that. And the person's response was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good at whatever I put my mind to. I'm good at whatever I put effort into. I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not, <laughs> but I'm good at whatever I put effort into. Um, you should, what is it? Uh, you should see me do systems design. And like, yeah, I, I, I love that answer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good at whatever I put my mind to is, is a great one. I think that's good, good confidence first off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's true words. You are doing these things because you fall into the gaps. You see the gaps, you fall into the gaps, but it's tough to pull yourself out and ask like, is this what I want to be doing? Or, or am I doing this because I'm good at it? Or am I doing this because I'm being voluntold implicitly or explicitly to do this type of work? Those are all good questions to ask. I think like the pro tip for this stuff is pick the glue. Like if there's all the glue work is falling through the cracks, first off, lift that up to your manager. Cause I think it's important for them to know um, I think I'm getting into like solutioning here, but I'll, I'll keep going on this path because I have no other thought. What's um, solution? Yeah. So I'm trying to like, this is stuff I've struggled with for a long time because I um, am fairly extroverted. I love talking to people, which ca can be sort of a rarity in the industry, I guess. I don't know. I, like, I really like talking to people. So I tend to fall into the glue work category. Uh, I've gotten in phases where I've gotten heavy heads down, but most of the time I always end up pulling back because I like genuinely care like, Oh, how's the team doing? You know? Um, but I don't want to be a manager because the article even says this, as soon as you put manager as your title in LinkedIn, people literally assume that you don't know how to code anymore and that yeah. you your tech skills are completely dead, which is unfair. But I mean, I've had that same opinion incorrectly too, where I'm just like, Oh, they're a manager. They don't, you know, they, their technical skills are probably not at the IC level. That's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. You don't know. Yeah, uh, there, there's this actually like great graphic. Uh, real quick, there's this one of the one. Of, the article is actually like made into a talk, and one of the slides. Uh, I'm trying to find it. I don't, probably won't be able to find it, but it's basically like, um, how quick do you, uh, your skills atrophy? And the second part of it is like, how quick do people assume your skills atrophy? Yeah. Like those are very <laughs> different. Yeah, I imagine like if Joe. Joe became, you became a manager, uh, whatever people would assume like, oh, his tech skills are gone. But what they don't know is like you do more side projects and side coding than most ICs do for a living. <laughs> uh, and they'd be like, you have better technical skills than like many ICs as a manager. So it's not all things are created equal, but the solutioning, going back to solutioning, you see all this, you see all these balls getting dropped. 
try and lift that up to your manager and and see like maybe we can assign these as growth opportunities to other people. Like, hey, we need these things done. Take do the legwork of like calling them out, writing them down, seeing like saying what you missed. So see if you can get that distributed because that is a growth opportunity for other people. All these other people are dropping balls. They should learn how to do those things because in the article they talk about this, that um, the excellent coder and the systems designer get promoted based partly on the glue work that was done. They are now senior engineers, but don't know how to do the glue work. And that is yep. part and parcel to their daily requirements now. And they are they are now out like over-leveled. Um, and in a very uncomfortable position. And yes, they'll probably learn, like it, like we said, you know, I'm good at whatever I put my mind to. But it probably didn't need to happen that way. Like they could have done some of that work too and developed their own style instead of having to be retroactive and reflexive about it. Yeah, that was kind of the meaning behind behind um, that uh, the the quote about about like yeah, I'm good at whatever I whatever I put my mind to. Um, the sort of like underlying assumption behind that was also uh, these other engineers can also get better at communicating. Yeah. Like that's, you know, <laughs> it's like, I, it's not just me who get, who gets better at, 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 uh, at whatever I put my mind to. It's like, um, yeah. But of course, how do you say that? It's, that is a difficult conversation to have with somebody, which is like, Hey, you're really good. And I think that conversation never happens. It's like, Hey, you're really good at writing code. You've written a lot of code. Why don't you try getting a little bit better at communicating? <laughs> or like, why don't you try, <laughs> you know, why don't you try like, uh, managing, do, doing some project, project management? I, I don't know. It's, um, they're just, they're very different skills and yeah, they, they do take uh practice. It's sort of like, I, I don't know. It's like anything like in order to get better, you're not, you're not going to get better at uh, anything unless, unless you try it. Anyway, I am. Uh, there's a book that I'm reading uh, called living in your top 1% and don't, it, I know it's super cheesy title, but it's like, <laughs> you know, another one of these books No uh, judgment. in this, this book, there's a little judgment. Uh, this, this book is its whole thing is don't work on your weaknesses lean into your strengths. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of funny because we're talking like, maybe you should pick up these other things. And then this book's like, don't do that. If yeah. you're good at like, basically the premise is like, if you're really good at code, just get even better at code and become like the greatest at code ever, instead of getting sort of good at communication and other stuff and sort of losing your coding skills a little bit and becoming the jack of all trade. And that's, that's like the age old argument of specialization versus generalization. Yeah. Um, I don't think this fits though, because I think basic human interaction skills mm -hmm. are table stakes. You shouldn't get to put those aside to get really good at coding because that is super unfair that you become a burden then. Uh, and I think that's important. There's a base level here that everyone should have, which is like you can you can communicate a technical idea. You can talk to cross like cross functional stakeholders. Like you're not an arrogant ass to product <laughs> managers, which I see so often, or like non the quote unquote non technicals. You're like, well, you know, you're not an engineer. It's like you're in it. <laughs> I hate that so <laughs> much. Uh, like basic stuff that you can write emails, you can you can communicate, you can uh, like create a relationship with a person on another team because you're probably going to have to do that at some point in your career. There is some there's some table stakes. So, the living in your top one percent, dumb title, kind of a dumb book. Um, <laughs> that's just like just lean into your strengths, which maybe that works for some people, but you should at least have a base level of skills across the board in, in this soft skill variety. Yeah, definitely. I, I think about that those the trade off between those two a lot about like strengthening your your strengths versus versus trying to raise up your weaknesses and become a more well rounded individual. Um, I think different things work for different people. Like I I am more of a generalist, but I like to I like to special I like to spike. You know, I like I just uh, I I don't think I could be the person who spends their whole career working on one thing. Like it's just not. Uh, it's just not, I don't think I would get a lot out of it. I think, I think I would get to a certain point and I would, it would feel a little bit repetitive. Um, I like to generalize a little bit. I like to have a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things. That's just kind of like who I am. It's my personality. But I also recognize that that's not everybody's personality. I think there are some people who just dive deeper and deeper and deeper on one thing. So maybe that book works for, for certain people. Um, I, oh, I want to mention one more thing, uh, uh, going back to one thing that you said earlier about, um, about like promotions, because cause you mentioned like, you know, promotions are like kind of have a certain amount of value. Some people value them highly. Some people are like, whatever, pro, a title is just a, just a thing. 
one thing that was called out in this article, um, which I have heard from a number of people, not just in this article, is like titles uh, matter to a certain extent that a lot of people don't uh, recognize, um, particularly with women. I've heard this from some some from some of my female friends, which is like uh, a senior junior title or a staff engineer title. Like it sort of what's the what was the phrase that I uh, I heard it phrased well, which is basically. Um, you it, it's like automatic credibility it, it's like you automatically don't have to work quite as hard to prove the things that you already uh sh- sort of should be assumed you know because of of the the work that you do it's like you don't have to like bring this whole backlog of uh code commits to every meeting with you because people sort of it gives you a sort of um which is unfortunate i, I don't know like and and also like i can't speak directly to that because i uh, I've never been in that position, so I, I can't say obviously too much about that. But yeah, the article mentions that too. Yeah. Um, that getting titling, yeah, you, I mean, you talk about this. The titling is important. You know, if you're not like a white says gendered male, which you just get the benefit of the doubt for everything, right. which sucks super bad. Um, yeah, I, I that and the volunteering thing generally make me sad, and I don't have like a lot of good answers to that. So. If, Anyone has any answers? Let us know. Yeah. Yes. Comment on the on the show. Like I'm, I'm being serious. I I really like that. That stuff is always so unsettling to me. And you, it's one of those things you don't think about day to day. I don't want to get too off on a tangent, but I don't have to think about that day to day, which is why I don't think about that day to day. But I almost want to put signs up everywhere, and be like, remember, mm-hmm. this job sucks for a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't need to, and it's not like part of your day to day. Like you're, it doesn't suck because there's anything like. They're worse at it. It sucks just because of the way the industry is structured and the prevailing opinions in it. Um, that's it. I don't know. Yep, that sucks. Yep. Well, on that on that on that light note. Uh, Wait, no. What, let me end on a better <laughs> note. Let me end on a better note. Um, I mean, it was me. Is, but it was me. I, I was the one who kind of like steered okay, us. This well, okay. I'll end. I'll, I'll end on this thing, which is the article talks about um, always be learning, which calls back to our like. Many of our episodes have talked about just continue to learn no matter yeah. what. If you're doing, if you're, if you're stuck in glue work and you don't want to, or you love the glue work, you should still spend time deliberately learning the other stuff. Um, hopefully during work hours, if you can get it. Uh, yep. But if you're doing a lot of glue work and you're a tech lead, that doesn't mean you should let your tech skills atrophy. It means you should learn, like can continue to learn. And if you're doing lots of tech work and you're only doing, uh, you're delivering code all the time find a way to learn the soft skill stuff uh, but just in general the the onus is on you in this industry to continue to learn and we've talked about how that makes you a better developer and uh you know all sorts of good stuff but it's that was the last part of the article which i think is like hey part of this is on you you should you should continue to learn this the stuff that you're not able to work on and be deliberate about it yep definitely um what, what I mean, speaking of learning, what are you what are you learning? What are you learning? That was that was a that was, a, real... that was our first segue, I think. <laughs> that was a terrible first segue. <laughs> I thought as far as segues go, I was impressed. Oh. Um so nice work. Uh, thank you. What I am learning is actually a callback to a previous episode. We did um the episode on Preact Signals in which we dumped on it for a really long time. Uh, not dumped on it, but we, we, <laughs> we're, we're hype killers, I think, is the general vibe of this podcast, which we should probably change. Um, but I am currently... Don't ever change. Don't ever change. <laughs> <laughs> uh, being a senior engineer is just saying, that's not right. <laughs> um, so I am currently vetting state management libraries like signals uh, and recoil and jotai 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 which i think means state in japanese uh joe is our resident japanese expert oh. so jotai i don't know state. that one i don't know jotai i <laughs> gotta, gotta uh, learn you know that Z- vocabulary zestand you know zestand zestand uh, yep. zestand is the same people made jotai and zestand oh, wow. zestand is state in german Oh, that's where yeah. those, okay that's what those yeah yeah are. yeah so I'm, I'm vetting these for uh for work uh, these, these, all these libraries, signals, uh, Zustand, Recoil, and Jotai, all are kind of like trying to solve a particular problem in React, which is reactivity in React. Um, 
you know, kind of moving state out of React to solve um, a couple of problems that can happen, which is a lot of rendering and re-rendering based on changing large, very, very stateful applications. So I'm going through different APIs, kind of like comparing and contrasting. They're very, they have similar, similar ideas, but um, for instance, like Zustand and Jotai are two solves to the same problem. It's the same team. Zustand is think about Redux state. It's like a big giant state object sits outside of things, um, which can be good. Uh, Jotai is the bottom up approach. It's atomic state that you compose. That's uh, interesting. Small pieces. Yeah. That's really interesting that the same team came up with opposite state management library. I, I like that. I mean, it's cool. They, they, yeah. I was reading a little bit more about how that happened and they're like, why did you do this? Like, why didn't you just fix the problems that you saw with Zustand? And they said like, they are completely different application solves. Like Zustand works for certain types of apps. They actually did like this nice list about um, why you would pick sort of one over the other. Um, so I think that's worth looking at uh, if, if you're kind of like comparing the two yourself, but that's, it's that's cool great. that the I, team did both. Yeah, I feel like everybody's always looking for the the one true state management library or whatever. It's like, yeah, oh, Redux, Redux is dead, is, use yeah, this. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I like how we both went to that. How many blog? I, I want to like Google the internet, scour the yeah. internet, Google the internet for all of the posts that says Redux is dead. Because uh, I think there's probably, I would wager there's more than a thousand uh, yep. of those blog posts. So yeah. that's what I'm learning right now. Joe, what are you learning? What am I learning? Well, so actually, before we get into that, I, I, I was going to say, um, I was going to say this about the, uh, going, going back to us being. I like, as I like to put it, deflating the hype balloon. Um, one of the things, this isn't exactly like a learning thing, but I, uh, I was listening to a shop talk show and Chris Coyer on there had a great, uh, had a great phrase that I was like, "Ah, I love that. Uh, he talked about how, like, you know, on that show, they, they sometimes do something, something similar to what we do, which is basically like, take a look at something and they're like, ah, it's not really for me. Or it's like, I see a bunch of issues with it. They, they deflate the hype balloon a little bit. I would say we tend to deflate the hype balloon a little bit more than them. But, um, but he basically said like, by the way, if you're listening to this and, uh, and like some, this sounds interesting to you, you know, whatever we're poo-pooing sounds interesting to you. Don't let it stop you. He was like, he was like, if it tingles your brain in some way, chase that tingle. And I love that. I love that phrase. Chase that tingle. I'm going to chase just like- that tingle. <laughs> that was, I think, from this this episode this week where they did the functional programming thing where yep. they um, they had like the music come on. The yeah, that was Britannica great. Music. And then they're like, functional programming doesn't really matter to me in any way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Chris Square. was like, I make websites, man. He's like, you know. Programming to me is like, how, where, how do I get my header on multiple pages? It's not like monads or monads and yeah. All that. I, I, like he said, I, I don't, I don't like to put on my computer science varsity letter jacket and like get to work <laughs> on this stuff. <laughs> and uh, that made me giggle. Yeah, yeah. I think it made me feel good because sometimes that stuff does tingle my brain. Where I, I'm like, what is a monad? I, I mean, you know, I, I've I've learned a number of things about functional programming over the years, and I think I, I could probably point to that as being the first thing, not in an in a, in an in an applied sense. I I wasn't like learning it because I had any application for it, but I was like. Hey, I never took CS in school, so like maybe monads or something you learn about. Then let me learn what that is, and 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 I went down a little bit of a like functional programming rabbit hole and learned about all that all that stuff. Uh, I find it very interesting, but but also like, um, you know, s- sometimes it is it's a little a little uh, obtuse. Uh, other times it's not because like it might just be a fancy word for something you work with all the time, which I right. I, I, I think of monads as kind of like that. But anyway, anyway, we won't go down down that. Uh, down that line. What am I learning? Is uh, I'm. It's more GeoGuessr. I'm back. I'm back on the GeoGuessr train. What I'm learning is that there is this <laughs> whole subculture of GeoGuessr elites. Uh, I think I mentioned this guy Tom Davies before, who like he's good. He's like really entertaining. How could you be elite at this? Let me tell you. <laughs> it's time for you to learn something right now. <laughs> it's nice uh, live learning. Live learning. No, uh, so like Tom Davies, I've talked about this guy. He's he's on YouTube uh, Geo Wizard, and he's like super entertaining to watch. He's good. He's really good. Uh, but there are people who are like they basically. Um, they're also on YouTube, which is why I know because I've been watching some of these videos. They will be able to identify 
uh, telephone poles across the world or the little like mile markers on the highway across the world. I mean, the, the very basics are like, what color are the lines on the street? You know, and they can identify, oh, if they're outside yellow lines uh, and people are driving on the left and the sun is in the north, then you're in South Africa or like the the countries around there. Uh, but if it's white outside lines, then you're in Australia. You know, it's that's like the very basics. But then they go into like the color of the dirt and the uh, I mean, language is like that's that's also super. Big. If you see certain language, you're like, OK, I, I, I got that. But it's it's like, oh, that's a wooden uh telephone pole and it's got a little tiny blue sticker on it we're in france we gotta be in france and it's just you can go down this whole rabbit hole i am stunned yeah how how Look could up. you possibly like i get for the big <laughs> like the bigger countries yeah you know you, you memorize the telephone poles of australia or whatever what about no shade bosnia herzegovina or uh micronesia or right. like Albania, uh, Albania, all yep. the all the like you know countries that you always forget when you're playing the the country exactly. guesser game. Andorra, uh, at, yeah, Algol, Al, Algola, Angola, Angola. Thank you. Well, some of the, so uh, I mean I'm not going to get I'm not going to talk about this long, but uh, GeoGuessr has like limited world coverage, so I don't think Angola is like on there. For example, Micronesia. Uh, oh no, parts of Micronesia, but like. Um, but like uh, a big swath of Africa is not on GeoGuessr because it's not covered by Google Maps. Um, oh, okay. So they, they're optimizing for areas that are like populated exactly. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Yeah. So what are you actually learning here? You're just learning that people have spent an, like a huge amount of time getting better yes. at GeoGuessr? I am learning that there are GeoGuessr tournaments at the, the, and that there is a GeoGuessr elite. Go, look up YouTube videos of GeoGuessr tournaments. They're like four hours long. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, like, tell see. me this. Did you watch beginning to end a four hour video? I did not. I did not. Okay. I feel better now. I was yeah. worried for you. Yeah. Yeah. I did not. Um, That's some good learning this week. Beginning to end. It is some good learning. Speaking oh. of beginning to end, it is time to end. We're at 47 minutes. We did okay. We could we could do a little better, but uh, it's time to Be end with... Dull. Sweet sounds of Joe making bird noise. <laughs> uh, I went first on what are you learning? So, Joe, give me some good news. All right. I will give you some good news. Let's see. I read uh, a headline, a little, maybe a little bit more than the headline, but I feel like this one, the headline kind of says it all. Um, it's actually not a, a headline, but in the past three years, the number of cancer survivors in the U.S. has increased by a million, reaching over 18 million as of 2022. That that to me is good news. And like uh, it goes on to say that uh, it's you know it's mostly due to progress against, against a number of different types of cancers. That uh, death rates have decreased f- uh, in between you know 40 and 50 percent since um, the 70s, which is. I guess to me that says like it's a slow burn for some of this stuff. You you rarely hear about like real advances in like cancer research and stuff like that. And and um, but but it's like slowly, you know, getting better. And like it's just really nice to hear like a million people, uh, you know, a million they were they were uh, a million more people that that survived cancer over the past three years. That's incredible. That's one of those things where. We all wished that there was we could find like a single silver bullet to fix cancer, uh, and hopefully that still can be found. But in reality, it's these incremental efforts of tons of people doing their like best faith work that they could possibly do. I bet and throwing tons of money at the problem to get like slightly better detection, slightly better imaging, slightly better responses in chemo, all this type of stuff. And then that adds up in huge population basis. Um, that's, that's really cool. That's good news. What about you? What do you got? So my good news is I think it's a little old, but it, it got like reshared around recently. So I think it's worth bringing back up. Um, there's a, there's a guy, he's a mechanical engineer. Uh, I think he's a mechanical engineer. He invented a, a paint that is so white it reflects 98.7% of incoming sunlight. You're smiling wow. at me. Like that's like, a, like it's, you already know this story. No, that's, I'm just, that's a, 
That's oh, like quite reflective. So the, the benefit of this is when painting on the roof of a building or like the outside of buildings, it um, is shown to keep the surface temperature 19 degrees cooler because it reflects so much of the sun. So the practical application would be you can paint this on all your buildings and not have to air condition them. Huh. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's good news. That's, uh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. So they're developing it. Um, they, it, this, the story first got shared in 2021 because they invented the paint, but it was like not production ready. It required a super thick coat and was very expensive. It's getting circulated again because they came up with a new process to make a much thinner coat that has the same effect. Nice. Uh, so I think that's, so they're like getting closer. You always see these ideas. They're like, oh, we invented some solar panel that like you can step on and it powers stuff. And then you're like, well, you can't actually produce it. And then yep. it takes many, many years for it to get to a practical like factory level application. So I think that's what we're getting closer to with this. And that's always cool because air conditioning is a vicious cycle where uh, it's hot outside. So you turn your air conditioning on and then air, like it blows hot air and like fossil fuels to make it cooler and then makes the outside hotter. And then it, we get caught in global warming cycles. So. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But this is the good news, Chris. So it is. Um, we're sailing away on the fact that, you know, we might be able to fix some of that with yeah. this cool white paint. That's yep. I hope so. All right. Well, it's been fun. Uh, we have our website up. So uh, if you're listening to this and you have a question or if you have maybe a suggestion for a future article you want to hear us talk about, um, or if you have like maybe a question about something that might be fun for like a mailbag episode in the future, maybe something like that, um, head on over to runtimerundown.com and leave us a message. Yeah, and in uh, whatever your podcaster of choice is, actually, I think we only support a few. It's Spotify, Apple, and I don't know. There's one more. Um, give us a review. Some people have. Shout oh, out right. to Dylan. Dylan oh, Curry nice. gave us a sweet review. Uh, Dan gave us a sweet review. Um, that that is good for us because no one knows about this show. That's not true. <laughs> we have a we got a pretty decent listener base, uh, you know, but. For like for us, I don't know. I'd love yeah. more people to review us. Please get on there. And what do they say in Shop Trek? Your star heart favorite it up. Yeah, that's how people find out about the show. Um, <laughs> we got to come up with our own version of that. But yeah, that's please right. do all those things. That'd be really cool. Thank you very much. All right, uh, we'll see you all next week. See you next week. Wait, who's doing the who's doing I'll, the what I'll are you reading? The, wait, where the, I'll do the intro. Oh, who's I, um I forget. Can we'll I do it we'll do it. We'll we'll do it live. Do it live.